0: Greetings and hello, my dear unknown friends. This is Greg Reese, and you are listening to the Sunday podcast at Substack. Glad to have you with me. Uh, Not too much admin today. Instead of admin, I'll just say thank you very much for your support. I hope you're all doing well. I hope your loved ones are doing well. And I hope God... Blesses you in this moment and in every moment moving forward All the best Today is going to be kind of personal I'm calling the episode Bank Aside versus The True Believers And I'll be starting off with a current event That could be the end of my time here And uh, then I'll get into my story. And it should make sense as I go as to why I'm doing this. Mostly going to be talking about myself in this episode because I believe many of you are seekers of truth and justice. Or you just find my stuff interesting. But I believe that uh, most likely other, other people who are passionately Seeking truth and justice Who have a strong desire for For the lies to be revealed and exposed You probably have similar experiences to mine. That's my guess because the story Of my story that's what my story tells it's it's almost cartoonish In the sense So why might this be the end? There is a a small little rag called The Daily Beast that's run by d c elites and and globalists and and all those folks and they just ran an article recently about me and Infowars and Harrison Smith and Patrick Howley and It's an interesting thing. It's obviously being used to try to, like, destroy me, (laughs) like Alex. You know, make it so that I'm not allowed to, like, earn a living in America where I was born. (laughs) You know? Friggin' crazy. Um, It's interesting on one hand because I found it somewhat flattering. It's obviously a hit piece meant to attack me, but I found it to be somewhat uh, accurate. He highlighted some of my best work, quoted some of my favorite work, (coughs) um, showed, I think, a pretty good example of the diversity of my work. So on, on the levels of an artist, which is really what I consider myself to be. And I think that'll be clear in my story today as well. Like, I don't have a background of politics or, or uh, news, you know, journalism. Uh-uh. I've been making videos since I was a kid. They were always, I guess you could argue in some sense journalistic. Like, I, I focused on a lot of the topics I focused on were, you know, real-life Things, events, you know, like so I guess in a sense you could say I'm always been sort of a video journalist But I've never saw myself as that I was adamant. I adamantly avoided political discussion And religious discussion And I'm a deeply uh, spiritual person. I just I, I don't I don't see the point in discussing that with anyone. You know, it's like very personal I'll read about it. I'll read about other people's ideas but I don't want to sit there and just converse about it. Or I used to. I mean, this is when I growing up, right? And I was a mess growing up, as you'll as you'll learn. And um, I avoided political discussion as well, for whatever reason. It just seemed boring to me, or or uh, aggro, or square. I don't know. I didn't like it. So I consider myself still to be an artist. I mean, I um, that's what I do. I. That's the funnest part of my life, right? The most exhausting part of my life is probably the political part. The most exhausting part of my job is the research. Um, next to that would be the writing, which is next in order. They're kind of done at the same time. Research can be exhausting. Writing can be exhausting, but writing is always exhausting. It's still, I consider writing an art form. It's my favorite art form, even though it's the most exhausting. In the end, it's my favorite art form for, you know, various reasons. And then next to that is the production end, which is uh, music, music production, uh, creativity, which is always fun. Um, I make it as simple as I'm, what I've learned to do in that area is just make it as quick and streamlined as possible. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to spend hours and hours and hours on music. I just like stream through it now. And then the video editing, which is probably the most fun of the whole that's the last and most fun and it's from there it's just downhill because I've already recorded the soundtrack and now I'm just laying video on top of it anyways I'm an artist that's how I see myself and the reason I say that and make a distinction is because as an artist I found the article to be uh like a great review, (laughs) you know? He, um, I read some outside comments where where the writer does insult me, but in the article itself, I guarantee you, if anyone reads that thing, like if any regular people read that thing, I guarantee you that I got at least one new fan, you know? There's links to my work and stuff, links to some of my best stuff, crazy. Anyways, that's my ego talking. That's my ego saying, oh, wow, that's not bad, and, and laughing at like, ha-ha, you tried to like make me look bad, and you didn't. But that's not what it was about. In the article, <clears throat> they mention there's like a paragraph or two or there's a, a small little portion amongst this hit piece that mentions something about payment processors and how insinuates that we are... Dishonestly earning money for InfoWars through false pretenses, right? So, right off the bat, <clears throat> right off the bat, if that were true, which it's not, but if it were, that's not illegal. And because it's not illegal, why would we do that? I mean, why would we hide it? It's not illegal. Like, we're all, including Alex free Americans who are allowed to live, right? We're allowed to work. We're allowed to earn a living. We're free people. But some people, that's, they're playing this game and it's dangerous because so many people are under mind control and brainwashed like all of us to certain degrees and, and many of us to a, a dangerous degree. Go along with whatever they're told, right? So if they're told that this person can't exist in society, because he's a bad person, then a lot of those people will just jump right on that army. And you know it's true. And if you were to tell me that that was the case, you know, a few years ago before 2020, I would have disputed it. I would have said, we're heading that way, but we're nowhere near there yet. But the masks proved otherwise. You can't dispute it now. So, <clears throat> the other point is it's not true. And I'm trying to make a living. You know? As you all know, I've been saying that for almost a year. I think in June. I think I started doing the podcast and started the Reese Report in June of last year. And um, from day one that was the whole point right was uh one preparing for the very realistic possibility that well, we all lose our jobs because of the attacks against our boss and have to then uh fend for ourselves in the in a, in a very divisive obviously that's i mean crazy world but more than that it's just uh there's a strong, and since I've had this, uh, my desire for true independence, employment-wise, um, has grown. And, uh, and I appreciate your support. And your support and contribution and uh, paid subscriptions here on Substack are making that possible. But now they wanna destroy, it. now they wanna take me down because they say I'm a bad person because I, I talk about conspiracy theories, right? Um, and that makes me deserving of total execution from society apparently to some of these people. I think I'm a very decent, good-hearted, charming uh, gentleman. I think I bring something to the table of humanity, all right? But not these, not these people. So, what they did succeed at doing was they got my PayPal account terminated. That happened about 24 hours before the article was published. And it was a mystery. I didn't know what was going on. I uh, sent it to some people at work, talked to a few people at work, tried to get some... Didn't know what was going on. But then, a day later, that article comes out and then... uh, it became obvious. And it became obvious what their game was. It's not a hit piece. It's like, because it's in a published article by, like, a global, uh, uh, funded by globalist rag, it became now what some kind of official document? It's fucking crazy, right? But that's how it worked. And I guess this official document was then shown to people at PayPal With ambiguous, cloudy assumptions that people were doing something that's completely legal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're talking crazy town. Crazy town. And uh, succeeded at terminating my account before the article even, like immediately. And. Interesting stuff. They did it because I had, on Reese report, I was accepting donations through PayPal and through crypto. So I deleted the PayPal donation because they killed it. That's dead. Uh, for those of you listening who have donated to me on PayPal, I thank you very much. I thank you very much. The good news for me is that very few people use it to donate their money. Most people that support me are doing it right here on Substack, and I thank you. And we'll get to that next. But um, occasionally, maybe once every two months, I'll get a small donation on PayPal. And once again, if that was you, thank you. And uh, someone recently, I think, gave me $26, and it's still sitting in there, and they're now... Threatening me that they might not give that to me (laughs) They're really nice But The um, So the result Of that And I'm starting to do some research And I'm finding that PayPal does have a very strong Alliance with these people so That's like that's a potentially a good thing. Like who all is in on this? We're gonna find out. So that's interesting. So it's not gonna kill me that much, hardly at all. I, I, there are several um, other ways of accepting donations. I have to find one. I haven't picked one yet, because this just happened. So all I did was delete the donate button. If you want to donate crypto, the donate to crypto button is still alive and working on reesreport.com. I haven't checked it in months, or weeks, or since I put it up, which was weeks or months ago. <laughs> so if you have donated to me in crypto, thank you very much. I should probably check that soon. Um, so now Substack is going to be tested. Stripe is going to be tested. They're being tested right now. And I've been talking about this for weeks now, right? The reason I'm making my Sunday podcast available to all free subscribers as well as paid subscribers is because my account is being looked at by my request by Stripe because there was an issue with, um, like paid subscribers that I brought with me basically. So they're already looking at it. They, I'm sure they already, if they've gotten to it, they, you know, I've been already wondering what's taking them so long. I've talked about that in the past, too. And I said to their credit, I really like Substack so far. They've, they've got a great product. I think it's a very easy-to-use, friendly, streamlined. I like simple. My website, Reese Report, I tried to make simple. And their Substack page for me is more simple than I, you know, it's great. I love it. So if any of you are listening, I think you've done a great job, all right? <laughs> Please do the right thing. And, um, but I guarantee you that they are now being contacted by these entities with this article as if this article is proof of something other than my great work. And, um, they're being pressured to stop doing business with me. And there's a very strong possibility that that this can happen because I suspect Stripe was already trying to do it to me. They, um, they did contact me a few months ago saying they were going to they thought my they, they were saying something about suspicious behavior and we're going to have to delete your account. And um, I contacted them right away and told them that you know what's up, and they said, "Well, tell us what you're doing." So I said, "Well, you know, I'm a writer. I wrote a book. Uh, I talk about yoga. I talk about current events. I talk about uh, spirituality. I talk about all kinds of things. That, you know, um, and I have people that in my readers and audience that like to support me, and that's what this is. I'm just trying to support my work. So they." Uh, Took a couple days and looked into it and came back to me very nicely and very politely and said, all right, thanks. Thank you for helping us out. Everything's good to go. You check out. And I do. Because that's what exactly, I'm just, I'm just a, a free American uh, making a living. And I'm actually talking about really healthy, beneficial things. That's what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to get into that. Next, that's the true believer part. I am one of the true believers. There are true believers out there. You all might be true believers too. But I believe in good, and I believe that good must prevail, and I believe that we must, if good is to prevail, that we have to get involved and we have to be as good, we have to try to project that good, we have to try to amplify the good, we have to try to be on the side of good. As much as we can, we're not perfect. And that's what I'm being persecuted for. It's crazy. I was telling a friend the other day, as an artist, this is like, like it sucks, right? Because I like to live. I like to make a living. I like to be able to have enough money where I can like pay rent and, uh, and eat. I like those things. They make me happy. I don't know what makes you happy, but those things make me happy. So I don't like being in the situation, and lucky I still, luckily I still have a job with Alex. But um, it does feel like a badge of honor. It is a badge of honor. It means that I am, I'm actually getting, a, I'm actually having an effect, right? I'm actually getting through to some people and getting some important stories out. See, the word truth and, and lies are very, you know, because what do we know? We're, we're all trying to figure out what's going on. And that's basically all I try to do is I, I, I try to find the most important stories that people should look at. I'm almost doing the opposite of what the mainstream media is doing. The mainstream media is trying to take the, the stories that you ought to be looking at. They'll ignore those and bury them or maybe just mention them once. And then they'll talk about things that Are meaningless, that will just make you emotionally triggered or fascinated, right? So I'm basically just trying to do the opposite. And I do them in short, little pieces with, with music, because I am trying to speak to the people that have short attention spans. Trying to get through to them somehow plant little, like, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. The whole idea is to get people to think and I believe that's a good thing. So, it, so overall, I'm very grateful. And overall, um, as an artist, it's a very interesting place to be where not only is your work successful, but you're, you're getting more famous and you're not necessarily getting more rich. You're getting more uh, attacked and potentially debanked. Bank And there are people, I have to do my research, but I do know there are people here in America, Americans, that have been bank ascited. I haven't been fully bank asceted. Like I said, PayPal is insignificant. I can I can live my life without ever missing it. Um but there are people that have been bank asceted, I believe. They can't bank anymore. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But how far away are we from that? Seriously, that's what they're trying to do. And the new economy is becoming, at least for artists and and content creators, these payment processor uh, subscription things like Stripe. And before I move on, I'll just say like one more time, I really like it here at Substack. And maybe that's one of the problems is, is, is like having faith in an outside organization in today's world, you know, but so far so good. I'm a big fan. I love free speech. I love, I, I want to become, um, I actually want to reinvent myself as a writer, which I do plan. Me all my videos are I've written, but I want to kind of write more is what I'm saying. Just writing. I like it here. And, um, I like the idea of financial independence a lot. And, uh. So I hope they do the right thing. And I hope they support someone who just wants to make people think for themselves in an extremely dangerous time. What possible reason could you have to take me down because of that? We're living in, you know, crazy times. And I'll tell you, the best way to sort of explain that is that there's two things every day that I experience now in the past year or two. In the, in the now that we're in the twilight zone, there are now two things every day that I have that I used to not have. I have a, a level of fear. It might not be the right word, a, a proper fear. Like a fear of like, of like on my toes being ready to make a move because that's the reality. I can wake up any day and be out of a job. And that's a very strong, that's a re- very real thing that I've never experienced before. I've never been that precarious with like my job, you know, in the past it's always been just do a good job and you can keep your job. You know, <laughs> uh, and then along with that is, uh, gratitude. I, I Gratitude like I've never known before grateful for everything For example, I went to visit a friend last week and on the way back I was stuck in slow-crawling traffic for for a while and I was just filled with joyful gratitude Like when is the next time gonna be when I can just make a road trip On a beautiful sunny day stuck in crawl slow crawl traffic You know Everything I'm grateful for everything every day and that's a blessing Just because I I perceive, from my purview, we are in a very dangerous time. And my life could be over, I'll speak for myself, my life could be over any day. And so that's a rare experience. I guess when people get old and sick, the, you know, Then that they face death like that in a very real sense But I'm fairly healthy and you know, I'm only 51 I mean, I've had a good life, I'm not young But, but still, I, um, norm, it's not a normal thing to be passionately faced with that in my time right now But I am, and so that brings a, a sense of gratitude Which is a blessing because I still have my health So I can actually take that gratitude and put it to use All right, that's the drama, and now we'll get on to uh, a summary of my life. I wrote it about this in a book. The book is called Sex, Drugs, and Om. Om is spelled O-M. And you can find that at Amazon.com, and I will say that... Um, I did the audiobook, but I'm much better at recording my voice now. After doing hundreds and hundreds, you know, hundreds of videos, has made me, you know, get better at it. So I probably need to redo it. But you know, I think I remember at the time I wasn't a, you know, it's something I've been. It, I, it's not bad. I, don't, I think the audio book's okay, and uh, I'm very proud of the book. The blurb on the back I paid someone else to do, and I can't stand it. And I just haven't gotten around to changing it. If anyone's got any ideas. Definitely open the cover. I did and the cover is also bad. I think at the time I thought it was cool. I kind of knew it wasn't but I was just trying to save money I was a poor man at the time And uh, so I self-published and uh, but the inside of the book There's some artwork on the inside of the book that I did too. all of the inside of the book including the artwork. I'm, I'm proud of I did a good job so uh, if you are interested in reading that book And you don't like spoiler alerts Then you might want to turn off right now Because I'm only going to go on For like another half hour But it's basically going to be a summary of the whole book Because that kind of explains uh, Why I, I am a, Why I consider myself a true believer And more importantly Why it's, I said it's cartoonish I said my life is cartoonish And what I meant by that was In summary The first Really, like forty-seven years of my life were spent thinking that there's something wrong with me—that uh, you know I'm insane or I'm broken or or whatever. Um, not to say I didn't have a a rich, uh, fulfilling forty-seven years. But that's a heavy weight to be carrying around. It's basically haunted. You're haunted by this sort of insignificance or worse, you know, crazy. And then that was 47 we would be 2017. From 2018 till the present has been the most gratifying, satisfying, meaningful years of my life filled with purpose and understanding. Now I understand my entire life. I get it. It all makes sense, like a cartoon, like a friggin' story. And uh, I think you'll get the gist of it. I'm just going to do a quick little uh, summary of it. And once again, spoiler alert, if you really don't want to be surprised by the book, uh, then you want to turn it off now. The book's called Sex, Drugs, and Om, Amazon.com, Greg Reese. All right. The um, the book is based on my story is based on a event that happened in my childhood that I wasn't hmm, aware of. Uh, So you know, I mean. The book is going to do a much better job Of of illustrating all of this That was the whole point of it (laughs) Um, But like I said In short There was an experience I had When I was five Back in 1975 The Jesuit house In Toronto My family was there for a relative And after the experience, for many years, I remembered it, but I remembered it as a dream. And I would always say to my friends, I talked about it for for years. I was haunted by it. I kept thinking about it. And I, and I, but I, and I would always say it was the weirdest dream because it seemed so real. And then I would also say it's the weirdest dream because I have it all the time. And it seems so real. So weird. It seems so real. No, I would be like... Probably a seven-year-old mumbling those words, seven, eight-year-old. The weirdest dream, because it seems so real, right? And um, following age five, immediately following age five, I remember having an, uh, an absolute disgust for all of authority, all authority figures, anyone who exemplified any authority over me, whether it be a parent at school, a teacher, a politician, a religious leader, a religion, a government, a television personality, doesn't matter. I immediately had a, a just a general disgust. And distrust. This person is a lying piece of shit. That was my attitude at a young age. After five years old. Which caused me to be extremely defiant and rebellious. I was raised at a Catholic school. And I broke. I was a vandal. I broke a lot of school property, church property, stole, I wasn't stealing out of want, I was stealing out of uh, desire to hurt them, you know, cost them money by breaking things and stealing things, that was, that was my objective, (laughs) and that was because, um, fuck them, right, who the fuck do they think they are, uh, having authority over me, and at the same time, throughout all this, I was very close to God. In fact, at around that age, five, six, I remember distinctly, uh, It might have been seven. In my book, I nailed it down. Um, I have a pretty good memory. I thought everyone had a, I remember one of the comments I heard after reading the book is a few people said, how is your memory so good? And uh, the answer is because when you're haunted by by specific memories, when you're like literally haunted by them, and and that's kind of my life, you don't forget them. So I remember at a very young age, um, praying passionately to God, asking God to, um, at the time I was confused. I would pray back and forth to God and the devil because, uh, in in Catholicism, you're taught that there is the God and there's the devil, and then you're also taught that it's all God, it's all the same thing. So it's confusing when you're a kid, As, as you get older. You're able to uh, sort of think for yourself and see the the mind games that are played in some of these you know in the teachings but uh, you know I would pray passionately to 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 serve God and specifically to help God purge the earth of evil to help cleanse the planet of evil so at a very young age I was passionately, distinctly aware of a volatile, like, disgusting, dangerous evil force that needed to be destroyed. And I don't know how common that is, but it caused me to start thinking I was crazy. That was one of the earliest moments of me thinking I was crazy, was... Because these prayers weren't, I mean, they were like real passionate. And, uh, and I remember I would get naked and sit on the floor before I would do it, which I, you know, and then as I got older, I remember when I stopped doing it, when I got older, cause I was like thinking like, what are you doing? You know, what's, why are you so crazy? Why are you such a weirdo? Right. Which, uh, started, uh, a a big sort of insecure uh, self-doubt thing. And um, then as I got older, I lost my virginity at 15 and became, well, uh, before that I uh, experimented, started experimenting with drugs, including drugs like LSD as young as 12. I think I was 13 when I did LSD for the first time or, 12 when I started drinking and smoking pot. 15 when I lost my virginity. So I started young and, and it was the pleasure that I was, I guess you could say lust. I guess you, I guess you can, you, the reason sex and drugs are sort of in the same category is for that very reason. It's, it's not about um, high emotions like love and compassion and empathy, they are uh, pleasure. And looking back, it's very obvious because um, in those pleasurable moments, you are able to achieve two things. You are able to be in the moment and happy in the moment. You're able to enjoy the moment. You know, you don't need sex or drugs to enjoy the moment. All you need is presence. Presence. Just presently bring yourself into the moment and it feels delicious. But back then it didn't because I wasn't able to do that because I was haunted with my past. And so I couldn't center myself. I couldn't be present without like, you know, I was constantly finding distractions and so sex and drugs would allow me to to manifest in the present and enjoy it. That was sort of my joy for many years that led me to become maybe this is one of the reasons I identify as an artist cuz during this time I picked up a guitar at age 12 and um, started playing and I didn't I was a latecomer to bands I didn't get in my first band until I got out of the Marine Corps when I got out of the Marine Corps in 93 I Pretty much started a band up uh, the next year With some friends and then for the next 15 years uh, I was in three different bands and it was basically my life That in sh- making short films I was a struggling artist I would work as a Plumber and a carpenter For friends Working as little as possible Because I wanted all the time in the world To make music And make little videos and so, that kind of lifestyle will make you think you're a little fucked up and crazy. You know? And so, for those 15 years, uh, you know, or where my job was at a bar, basically. So I was drinking every day and drugs and whole lifestyle. Musicians mostly are going to be liberal, lefty, anarchists. Um, Dark days actually really and never made any money from it and uh, dealing with other musicians is a fucking nightmare (laughs) It's like being married to several men And if that sounds appealing to you then I'd be very surprised (laughs) No matter who you are So that led me to probably the darkest days of my life where my spiritual, my sense of having any kind of purpose just became lost because, you know, you... you. The, the whole idea, this idea of us just being a speck of dust in the universe in full of trillions of specks of dust that go on for infinity that was based on an accidental explosion... And we're just fall out from this accidental explosion. It's like, even if you ignore that story, that story is everywhere in pop culture. And if you're involved in pop culture, and you kind of have to be when you're like a, an aspiring musician, filmmaker, then it, um, it has a, an effect. The effect it had on me was sadness. I became, for the first time, consistently just like life lost all of its wonder and just became ugly. And no artist wants to live in an ugly world. And interesting, what woke me up out of this depressing stupor is conspiracy theories. Uh, Specifically, the first thing that did it was, there is a, I saw it on a videotape. Some of you people don't know what that is. A videotape predated a DVD I think everyone maybe knows what a DVD is. But my local library in Ohio had a incredible section on um, conspiracies. Back in the, so this would have been 2004. Um, But you could tell it was there back into the 90s, it was probably started in the 90s when all this really started happening. You know, the the big move- The really the 90s is when the, uh, the movement became really noticeable as far as like publication dates and stuff. So I saw a video called the Mars-Moon Connection, Richard Hoagland. It was like a three-hour lecture given at Ohio University, I think. I might be getting the details wrong, but I'm pretty sure of the title. And looking back, uh, a lot of his, um, I think he was wrong about a great deal of his Speculations And theories But the evidence that he provided Which were photographs taken by NASA Hundreds Were compelling And I knew within the first 30 minutes probably that NASA's lying to us about the moon Which and it became absolutely evident there's no you know there's no way they're not for me now everyone's got their own little moment for me it was just as simple as that the fact that the news media is not showing these photos and talking about these things that alone convinced me that the mainstream media and NASA were all orchestrated together to to lie to the people of the world Why they're lying is still a mystery to me. I have my theories, but it's still a great mystery. But that's what did it for me. And just like all of you, I'm sure once the first thing happened, what happened after that was the, the question, well, what else am I being lied to about? Right? Right. And all you need to do is ask that question with an open mind and do your own research and you will come to the same conclusions or you'll, you'll get the same information as the rest of us. There's a lot of bogus information out there, but I think I think uh, common sense allows you to sort of uh, sniff out what stories are more important than others and what stories are most likely bullshit But from there, it was uh, Avalanche. That was, like, in 2004. And like I said, this library had an incredible collection. Most of their stuff was uh, UFO stuff, abductee stuff. But there was tons of great stuff on Montauk. And... Um, uh, you know, um, what were some other great ones there? Oh, just, you know. And then... After that, YouTube was still operating incredibly. YouTube was my favorite part of the Internet back then. And YouTube then taught me everything else I wanted to know. Because all I did on YouTube was search these things I was watching in the library. You know, one of these videos would mention something. I'd go to YouTube and search it. Next thing you know, YouTube is just, hey, would you like to see this? Hey, we think based on your searches in the past, you might be interested in this video. And from there, it was just... It was amazing, and some of you some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you lived that too, and now that's all changed, obviously it's very difficult now to uh, to find the information you want to find on the internet, and that's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until we do something. so the um, the conspiracy theories. Led me to look at other things that I previously dismissed as silliness, such as meditation. Before my red pill moment with conspiracy theories, I always regarded meditation and stuff like that as just fluffy woo-woo nonsense or whatever, you know. The word I used, I'm sure, was stupid. When I was younger, everything was either stupid or cool. Uh, We all have our own versions of that. But I said, okay, well maybe, because what happens is I, I start thinking, maybe I'm wrong about every assumption I have. You know, once you realize that you are able to be fooled completely, then you, you There's, there's a, a very healthy way to react to that Which is to start opening the mind Free the mind And allegedly your ass will follow That's what they say So I looked into meditation And then um, I have a tendency to have beginner's luck With things <clears throat> And that's what I uh, Liken this to That and uh, God loves me Which is probably really what it was I think God loves you too but um, I started meditating, and within three days, like the third day, it might have even been the second day, I was just meditating, To What I would do when I started was I would sit on a cross-legged on the floor uh, in, my, in the third-floor bedroom that I was renting from a friend, an attic, little attic bedroom, and uh, I would turn the, the lights off, make everything dark, make everything as quiet as possible, and I would do an open-eye meditation. I just found that to be more relaxing and natural. That's why I would turn all the lights off and try to you know, make it as dark as possible. And then I would just meditate on my breath, which I talked about in a previous podcast. Just focusing on the breath, deep breath, feeling the breath, listening to the sound of the breath, and trying to just do that. Total beginner, and on like like the second or third try, all of a sudden, I don't remember it. its beginning, I just remember suddenly, all of a sudden, there was a blue light, uh, a brilliant, shimmering, like glistening, otherworldly, like science fiction movie-like blue light right in front of my, right in front of my face, right where my eyes are naturally relaxed looking. And it's just there, just like hovering right in front of me, like I would say about 12, you know, 20 inches in front of my nose. And for I don't know how long, for a certain duration of time, I was present with it. I was, I was just looking into the light with an empty mind, without thinking. And then as soon as my mind started forming the, the thought of, holy shit, what the fuck is that thing? As soon as my mind began to form that thought, it immediately just turned out like a light. <clears throat> and instantly had me obsessively curious. So I'm, crawling, I turn the lights on. I'm crawling all around my room. I'm looking for some type of device that could project a hologram. I thought maybe I was on a TV show being fooled or something. I don't know. You know, I'm like trying to figure this thing out. And uh, what it caused me to do was continue meditating and go deeper into it and pursue a practice of meditation. Strictly because I wanted to see the blue light, you know I was like a I was like a dumb moron uh, i don 't want to say that. I have a tendency of putting myself down. I have a better way of saying that. I was like a a little dog or a cat freaking out over a laser light, and so as a result of that i um i I really delved into um yoga specifically, but I went to uh, first thing I did was I went to a Tibetan monastery. I qu- quit my job, I quit my band, I sold everything, which was, wasn't much, I sold like whatever I, little I had, or gave it away, I think I probably just gave it away because I didn't have anything worth anything. Um, had a backpack, uh, my Marine Corps bag, and a guitar, <clears throat> which is how I traveled for the next several years, probably the next 10 years. Uh, first, I went to a Tibetan monastery, volunteered to build a, a temple. I, I There I learned how to weld bronze, and I was welding bronze statues. Very cool. Very, very cool. I remember having uh, flies dying I, every time I would spark my torch. I was there for three months and every time I'm sparking the torch, no matter where I am, flies come into my, um, into my weld and die. And so every time I stop my weld and clean up the the area, I'm brushing away flies sometimes by the dozen. And I just figured this is a thing. And then my other, I remember my other welder friends saw it, you know, checking out my welds and I'm like, "What the fuck's going on here?" <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" And apparently I was the only one. So that's one of many uh, weird stories. I don't know what that means. But could have just been uh, part of my lesson? It definitely made me think. Throughout all this time, I went from the Tibetan monastery. I went to, uh, I I came to the conclusion that I need to try to become a filmmaker. I need to finally uh, just, like, make that move. And so I went to, uh, or oh, it wasn't, no, I'm sorry, from the Tibetan monastery, it was, uh, I stopped at Madison, Wisconsin. From Madison, Wisconsin, there was a, a uh, thing called Whiskino, I think. The, Kino, they have it in other places. I think there's a Paris, France Kino, and it's uh, it's if you're into making films, it's great. It was um, sort of like a little club you could join. Uh, you know, not not that, not even that organized. You just show up, and every month they would have a theme for the next festival. And the festival they would rent out a local theater, and then you could come and you can bring your movie. That you made, and they would show it on the big screen, and there would be a winner later that they would vote on. But really, it was just about having your film shown on the big screen. And they would have a theme that they would announce the month prior to sort of keep it so that you only, because the idea was you only had one month to make it. And the way they kept it fair was by giving out the theme. So I did a few films for that. and then was like oh well that's my purpose i need to be a filmmaker then cuz this whole process starting in the tibetan monastery and starting with the blue light was me trying to figure out somewhere along the line i just realized there's we all have a purpose in this life or i have at least at least i have to figure out what the fuck i'm i'm doing you know that i just knew i had to figure out what my purpose was i know that sounds like Silly. I think, I think it sounds silly because that's very common, I think. Especially in this world where we are, div- I think we're almost deliberately divided from our true purpose. So the desire to be a filmmaker brought me to New York City, actually Jersey City, because I couldn't afford New York City. So I rented a room for like 500 bucks a month in Jersey City. Run by this crazy Turkish guy. And uh, I was only in uh, there for nine months, and I uh, had it. I mean, I don't know how people can do big cities like that. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, but Cleveland's not really a big city. It's big. It's too big for me. But cities like New York, good Lord. And some people love it. And if you're one of those people who loves it, you know, God bless you. We're all different. I don't like it. Place smells like pee. And you just have to work constantly for dickheads doing bullshit stuff to survive. (laughs) I didn't care for it. Uh, My one story. This isn't what made me my final decision. This is just a a funny story, which I think is very cliche and typical. And uh, that was I got hired by a guy who had a he won a Oscar for producer credit and so he was utilizing that cred to get some money and make his own documentary with a friend of his so I was hired by him and this other guy as an editor on a team of editors and the movie was a pretty decent idea I thought these days highly controversial it was basically uh kind of about like the American dream and free speech, and this was back in 2007. Anyways, uh, I don't think it ever saw fruition. There's, he was, there was too much uh, partying and drugs involved, and, 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 and I saw some really, like the way he was getting money from the producer was un, like crazy, like he was, he was basically lying to an older woman trying to make her think that he loved her, and she would give the money up. It was really dirty. And um, another dirty thing was uh, there was one job where they tasked us. They said, okay, we need a real powerful intro for this movie. And so, you know, to try to come up with it. So I, I did my process. My process is very spiritual. I ask God, you know, for guidance. And uh, all my good work is due to God. And I came up with uh, my best bet. Next day I was like, oh, I got a great idea. So I uh, pitched it. And uh, when I pitched it, the producer kind of poo-pooed it. He was like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. Keep thinking, keep thinking. And then the next day he came in all excited and said, I got it. I, I just thought of it. And then he described exactly what I said without ever even giving me credit or even acknowledging that just the day before I said the exact same thing. And then the lead editor who was next to me, who liked me, she was cool, she kind of just looked over to me. And when he left, she just leaned over, smiled, and said, welcome to New York. And it's kind of a funny story, because it's like, you know, you grow up watching TVs and movies. And, you, and then that, her comment was really what made it great. The whole welcome to New York comment really made it like a, like a scene. <laughs> so then I go to uh, uh, Austin, Texas. where I had some of the best couple years of my life. That would have been 2008, 2009. Interestingly, I say it, some of the best years of my life, because it was in those years where I remembered what happened to me when I was a kid. And I'm not going to get into it here. If you want to hear more about it, you can read my book. And I'm not just pitching my book. I'm terrible at pitching, obviously. <laughs> uh, I should do it every episode. Um, but uh, I'm just not going to get into it because I'll do a mu- i will do do a much better job describing it all in the book and everything like that. But through a process of uh, meditation, hypnosis, um, and prayer, mostly prayer, asking God what ha- all of a sudden I started I started asking the question like what happened to me, and it uh, came through a series of events, quite compelling, where I realized that the dream that I thought I had, that the thing that I used to say was the strangest dream because it seemed so real, was something that actually happened. And what it was, was I would describe, I guess technically you would describe it as SRA, Like a ritual abuse type of thing But more specifically it was the best. I mean I don't know what it was But I was just talking to a friend about it the other day And mentioned what the best I could guess Is it was like a recruitment It was as if I was uh, Being Interviewed or tested to see What my level of empathy was And looking back I Believe that I failed the test. Well, I always knew I failed the test. Even as a kid, I knew I. It was the failure was was obvious. Even when, well, you know, I, when I thought it was a dream, I was well aware of the ending of the dream, and the ending of the dream was these men in black robes, Jesuit priests, which I didn't know at the time. At the time, I considered them gods because that's what they told me they were. They said that they were gods, and they were offering me the opportunity to be a god like they are. And in order to do that, they wanted me to stick a knife into a lifeless body. It sounds crazy, right? And I didn't want to do it, so I sort of faked it. Because I also didn't want to disappoint all these weird gods. <laughs> and then the feeling of um, failure and disappointment was, it was incredible. That's what I remember the most was just this, the whole room was like, oh, they were, they were disgusted with my empathy. So luckily, fortunately, I failed their test. (laughs) And I'll leave it at that. Pretty crazy and dark, I know. Some of you have similar, a lot of you, I bet you half who are listening right now have similar experiences. And you're not shocked by what I just said. You're thinking of your own experience and you can relate. That's what I've learned. When I talk to people about this one-on-one, at least half the people I talk to have their own. So this is a common thing we humans experience. The most powerful thing, and this is why this was the best time of my life, the most powerful thing was that this remembering for the first time, now at the time I'm about 37, 38, or no, 38, 39, 38, 39 years old, and um, for the first time I realize I'm not crazy. I mean, that's profound. A 38, 39-year-old man. And now, for the first time, I have a sense of confidence of, like, I'm not crazy. I'm not fucked up. I was just fucked with. It was a psyop. It was a powerful, traumatic psyop that flipped me off and made me look at every authority figure as a total piece of shit. Which, by the way, I still do. It made me go off the deep end, trying to find peace and solace in sex and pleasure... Which if anyone else has done that knows uh, It doesn't end well And it doesn't give you peace and solace So that fucked my life up You could say I don't think any of my life was fucked up That's the whole point of what I'm trying to say now Everything happened for a reason So that's the book I wrote that book at a yoga ashram that I lived at for three years. I lived alone in a temple. I was kind of the steward. There's there's a tradition where shrines and temples need to have someone living in it, a guardian. Guardian might be a fanciful word, but I I like it. And um, I lived there for three years, and uh, one of the things I Accomplished in there was I wrote this book and it's interesting after years of trying to find peace It was the book that did it for me It was really the rewrites because yet. I think I went through at least 12 rewrites. I Didn't I didn't have the money to hire anyone to edit it So I exhausted the rewrites and I did actually have friends Who were kind enough to read it for me and then give me notes so I would base my rewrites off of other people's notes and my own, and polished it up as best as I could. I left, uh, there, if there's some grammar Nazis out there, you might find some things that you have problems with. But one of the things I learned in my research into write, creative writing is that you're allowed um, to make your own rules, <laughs> if it makes sense, you know? So there's a few things I made my own rules. Anyways, it was in the process of this of, of exhausting the details of my life in, in words on paper, that by the time I was done with this book, I was done with my past. You know, I was over it. I was just sick of it. I was like, all right, whatever. I'm d- who cares? You know, who cares? I'm like, and then from that day on, I've become present, you know? Like, I'm present now. I am a confident... Oops, sorry about that. I've got to turn the phone off. I am a... I'm not bragging, but I am a present, confident, self-assured, humble, grateful man. At 47, that's when I finished the book. After... probably over 10 years of, of... obsessively seeking that. You know, following uh, 30 years of of being lost in it, not even knowing, just thinking I'm, I'm a wild crazy person, you know. So, that's where the book ends, and I'll tell one more story to illustrate the main point, and the main point I'm trying to make is life has meaning. I can see how every single single thing I experienced, including the childhood trauma, has led me to where I am now. To the position I have in, in our society right now. I think a lot of that's already obvious to you. I mean, I obviously have, um... I have, um... A, a problem with these evil criminals hiding and posing as respected authority figures you know I've seen through them almost my whole life and then I could go on to detail too about all the other experiences and, and, and how they you know, well you know they, it's taught me to to make videos and um Videos on, speci- on, on, on specifically trying to get other people to snap out of the brainwashing. Trying to get other people to think for themselves. It's all we got to do. If we could just learn to think for ourselves, man, the world would change. Because we're all under mind control. So the story that happened after the book, and this is a story of synchronicity, God's grace, and to me illustrates how when you're on the path, magic happens, miracles happen. Miracles will happen. There's a saying, um, I think, (laughs) I don't know if it's in the Bible, but it's something of God saying, if you take, you know, a couple steps towards me, I'll... Make ten towards you or something like that you know. But you have to make the effort And if you make the effort, God will move the world for you Make miracles for you He just wants you to ask Or she Whatever, I don't care You do you So After I wrote the book And this is probably the subject of my next book, and I'm not even going to talk about it that much here, but it was actually Q. It was Trump and Q that triggered me. I guess you could say it was more Trump. At the time, I'm living in an ashram after three years, and um, I just bought Bitcoin, for the first time, no. I think I bought it in 2012 and sold it. Uh, I bought a little bit, and um, beginning of, or so beginning of 2017, like around April, I was given a gift from my father—a gift of uh, me and my sisters were given a ten grand. I believe his tax attorney recommended that he do it, like out of our inheritance or something for like a tax. I don't know. Either way, it was the most money I've ever had all at once. I've never had that much money in my bank. I've lived a very kind of simple, poor life. And so I get that money, and I immediately buy Bitcoin. I spend it all on Bitcoin. And I got Bitcoin where, when it was at $1,200 in 2017. And then, right after that purchase, I'm working in a media, in the media department uh, at a yoga ashram where I'm living in the temple, all alone about two miles away from the community. It was lovely. And uh, I started catching, I caught the very first Q post on the very same day that Q posted it. And that seems weird to me just because I wasn't like deep into, I wasn't aware of 4chan. I don't know where I saw it, honestly, because I wasn't even really into that stuff at the time. I was more into you know, yoga and uh, and books and, and how to sell books, you know. That's like mostly what I was doing, trying to figure out how I'm going to sell this book. And um, But I somehow caught the very first Q post, and it got my attention. And um, that alone seems strange. Um, and then I, uh, Trump, I didn't vote for Trump in 2016 because I don't vote, because I never believed the election... I, you know, the whole left-right paradigm, it's a big psyop. Who trusts the vote? I voted once when I was 18 and then decided it was all bullshit. And uh, I liked Trump. You know, I liked things that he'd said. I liked his humor. I liked his, um, his rudeness. I en- you know, I enjoy that. A lot of people are put off by that. I like crass, working-class humor. I always will. But I didn't think he had a chance in hell because it became completely obvious even back then that the entire establishment was in a friggin' hissy fit over it. So I was like, well, obviously he's not part of them, which means he ain't getting in. I was actually consoling all my friends there because, you know, Yoga Ashram, as you would expect, it's mostly super liberal people, CNNers. And uh, everyone's like seriously scared. You know, back in uh, 2015, 2016. And I was actually, in, in, the in the fall of 2016 before the election, I would distinctly remember, like the week before the election, consoling people. Don't worry. Don't worry. He's never going to get elected. He's never going to get, you know, even if he wins, they won't let him in. Don't worry. And I, at the time, it's frustrating. I, I, at the time, I kind of already gave up hope. I, uh, when I first got red-pilled, I was all in the game. I was making videos, trying to wake people up, um, and then somewhere around 2012 Obama era, I just saw the massive brainwashing happening all around me. And I was like, shit, we're screwed. So uh, at the time, I was already like, that's kind of what got me to the ashram. I, was, I went to the ashram basically saying, all right, well, if we're going to go into this massive tyranny, how am I going to cope? How am I going to live without like, I mean, what am I going to do? You know, I was, so I went there to try to figure that out. <clears throat> At the time, that's what I was thinking in my head. And so I was consoling everyone. I'm like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. He's not going to win. And then I woke up when he won, and I was like, I was like almost like another red pill moment. I was like, how? First, I was like, well, I guess he's part of it. And that was just a really good trick. But I didn't really buy that, because I could tell they're, they're, these people aren't good actors. And I was like, well, maybe they just don't know. And they're just you know being played, too. and I wasn't a complete believer. And then I saw a very brief clip of the Marines bombing the poppy factories and the poppy fields in Afghanistan. And it was some serious bombing. It wasn't just a little – I mean, it was massive. And it was just one little clip. And it was obvious why, to me why it was one little clip because that's not <laughs> – I mean, that's deep state money, whatever you want to call them. You know, people got their money in Ukraine, got their money in the it's CIA money, to be specific. At least the CIA runs and manages that and always have, or at least uh, heroin. That region they didn't really get until, I guess, the, the war. But once I saw that, that triggered me. I was like, all right, Trump's the real deal. He's actually fighting, there's a war going on. There's actually a war going on between, you know, like decent Americans and these pieces of shit. So uh, that got me extremely motivated. And all of a sudden I was like, maybe there's hope. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe it's not lost. So I decided that from there, I wanted to get involved. That's all I cared about at this point. I need to get involved in this. I need, and, and really, I wanted to be involved mostly just to be a fish. Offic- so it was on the official record where I, I wanted there to be no doubt where I stood. And this was my opportunity. I was like, well, this is, for whatever reason, that seemed important to me. Let it be extremely clearly known where you stand on this issue. So that was my main goal to get involved, was to obviously have some effect, but also just to be like, all right, this is where I stand, you know? And so I then watched my Bitcoin just get more and more and more and more within 2017. I watched $10,000 worth of Bitcoin. Let me, before I, let me check my numbers here before I... I want to get it straight. I think I remember pretty clearly. It was crazy. I mean, like I said, I've lived uh, most of my life very poor. Yeah, (laughs) I watched $10,000 worth of Bitcoin turn into $152,000 in um, less than a year. Mm, now that I say that I kind of think maybe I should have pulled it all out right then <clears throat> But no, I shouldn't have everything was perfect. Everything was fine So then uh, what I did was I took I sold one Bitcoin for about 19 grand And now I had twice of that incredible that 10 grand gift was incredible But now I have twice and I got like another 130 in the bank or in the Bitcoin, right? Which then of course plummeted shortly after and then went back up and down and up and down But I took that uh, 19 grand and I um, moved to Hawaii with the goal of somehow getting involved in some way. I I was completely open. I just knew I wanted to be fighting for America, fighting for freedom, fighting for justice, fighting for truth. And I wanted uh, to be doing it in some official capacity to where I was obviously on that side. That was my goal. That was my prayer. That I would get on my knees every day, morning and night, and ask God for. So I went to Hawaii on the Bitcoin, I rented a nice place in Volcano Hawaii. And two weeks after moving into this place, the volcano that was just three miles away from me erupted. And made major news. And, and you know, InfoWars was talking about it all the time. And everyone was talking about it. And I... Uh, it's funny. Like, when I first moved into the place, I got on my bike and I rode to the Volcano Park. And as soon as I got up to it, I went online first and looked at it. And online, it was like, eh. But as soon as I got up to it in real life, like, I just fell off my bike in, in amazement almost. You know, I was just, like, stumbled towards it like, holy shit. You know, this is, I mean, just amazing, beautiful place. And the first thought I had was... <laughs> I bet this place erupts now that I moved in here, you know. Um, it's just kind of like the life I've had. And sure as shit, two weeks later, it thing blew up. And uh, so, shortly after that, InfoWars announces a contest. That actually never officially ended. I did not win this contest. The contest was for um, reporters and editors, and to compete in the contest you had to make videos and submit them and so i started submitting videos and then of those videos i submitted i submitted a ad for water their water filter which i still have i love their water filter the gravity fed water filters and i i wanted i didn't know if my water was any good cuz i had a water catchment like most places in hawaii rainwater catchment and the whole thing and i checked it and i could see oh the volcano there's ash in there you know there's 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 a lot of it, too, like volcanic ash made it into my catchment. So I did some research, and I realized that could be bad for you. So I did some tests, uh, and I found that it did have dangerous levels. And I can't remember the specifics, so I won't say the specifics. And um, then uh, ran it through the gravity-fed water filter, did a test, and it cleaned it all up. So I was psyched, personally psyched. And... Um, Also had a video I made of of the process. And so I submitted that video, or it was an ad. And that's what got Rob Dew to call me. Rob Dew then called me and said, do we have permission to use this ad? And I said, yeah. And all I was thinking immediately was, I have Rob Dew's phone number now. And I'm going to get that job. There's no way I'm not working there. To me, that was God. Like, I... I could see the whole thing happening. This was this was just working out. So I um, continued on making videos for the contest. Uh, I was also making my own videos every week. I think every day, actually. Five days a week, I was making little updates on the news called the Red Pill on YouTube, which is now deleted my YouTube page. Well, I, still, I think I have a backup page that has those on there somewhere. But... um and then I just started uh, making plans, you know, um, get, you know uh, making plans to get out of the apartment and move to Texas. A few months later, I'm in Texas, and uh, from my Airbnb, I call Rob up and I, I say, hey, you know, I moved here. I want a job. You know, I, I, I can't remember exactly how I said it, but I definitely deliberately sort of put him on the spot you know like hey you know i moved all the way here you should interview me <laughs> and so he met me for lunch interviewed me and hired me and um you know i didn't like i said i didn't win any contest it was just a uh, it was the path before me and so here i am and ever since then I mean, I can't tell you. Uh, like, I mean, the, I talked earlier about how in the in the past year or so, I've had like every day the feeling of fear and gratitude. But f- since 2018, actually, ever since I finished writing the book and sort of let go of my past, I've been grateful. But since two, since this job, I've had gratitude overflowing like a fountain, like a fountain. Like, so much gratitude that it makes me grateful. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you're like, it's like an endless spiral of thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, and that is priceless. If you can find a situation where you're feeling that kind of gratitude, then God bless you. I mean, everyone, I mean, I hope you do. And so that's where I am today. And that's what makes me a true believer. It's because I am doing what I'm doing because I believe that the truth shall set us free. And I believe that the lies are killing us. And I believe in what I'm doing. And that's, like I said back in 2017, I wanted nothing more than to be at least officially doing this. So even if I'm being attacked, even if people are trying to destroy destroy me and make it so that I'm not allowed to have a sub stack and I'm not allowed to have a podcast because they think I'm a bad person. They're doing that because of something that I'm, because I believe deeply in what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it's a badge of honor. And they might. Successfully destroy me and if they obviously I don't think I'd be the first, but I might be if I you know, but They might destroy a lot of us a lot of the true believers And that's typical When I uh, had the great fortune to visit Ireland after my mother died in 2017 And I got to meet some cousins that I never met before and some cousins that we didn't even know we had Uh, We took the tour of the revolution, the Irish Revolution tour, including the Easter Rising. And um, what I remember the most from that story was that what really caused the revolution in in Ireland was... A failed uprising. The Easter Rising it was only there was only a, a small group of people involved, um, and they took. They were trying to get rid of British rule. They took control of the post office in Dublin. Still has bullet marks all, on the tour that you see, and they ended up getting arrested. And then in jail, they were all executed, I guess for the crimes of uh, insurgency or uprising or whatever. And it was their execution that inspired the rest of Ireland to tell the British to go fuck off, including like women and old ladies. Everyone Everyone got involved then. And that's what it took. And that is not an uncommon story if you start looking into the histories of other revolutions, of, of, of real revolutions. Then uh, and actually the the, the fomented ones really true, truly too, really. I mean, that's kind of how they they fake it in the in the in the fake ones. They know how to do it. That's how it does. We're simple people, and I honestly think most people are gentle. Good people that just want to be left alone. I really do. We're not, obviously we're not all like that. Some of us are scumbags that want to just control other people. A person that wants to control another person is the lowest form of consciousness that exists on this planet, in my opinion. And that's probably based on childhood experiences and other experiences since that have just amplified it, right? That's who I am. And I would greatly give my life if it could benefit humanity in any way. It's one of my favorite things about Christ, is the sacrifice. And so I'm perfectly fine if we're taken down, if some of us are, take, are deplatformed and, and, de- and, and bank a which is what's coming. the Chinese social credit score model, that's coming for everyone. That'll bank aside, that'll bank aside you thousands of true believers. If, if people roll over, you know, most people will probably roll over and just do what they're told. So I am at least grateful that I won't roll over. I am grateful that I stand by my convictions and my beliefs. And I am very happy and grateful that I stand on the right side of things. I stand for individual freedom and truth. And 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 those things are synonymous, really, in today's world. You know, the freedom to be able to say two plus two equals four. That's really what we're talking about these days. Straight up. So it's been a long time. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you once again for your support. Thank you so much. And once again, this might be all over for me any day now. And I would not be surprised because they are trying to convince them to take me off. And I don't have a lot of hope these days because most people are folding. It would be extremely encouraging for it not to happen. And obviously that would be a sign that things are, are starting to turn, in my opinion. But that would be the first sign of it for me. I still haven't seen that sign. So thanks for your support. And hopefully, uh, if, you've, if you're one of the people that have paid annually, I'm sure that you'll be refunded, hopefully, <laughs> if they take me down. If you still want to support me, then please do. You could buy my book. You can subscribe here. As long as it's here, I'm loving it. And I'm going to be putting out content. So that's it, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I love you guys. Hope you're enjoying your day. Have a great week. God bless you. See you next week, hopefully.